Well, you know, just a few days ago, we actually had the, the privilege of celebrating Thanksgiving, where I hope that every believer here this morning had an opportunity to just reflect on, on the amazing blessings that our great God and Father has given to us. And then I hope that you also wholeheartedly praised and worshiped him and gave him thanks for each and every provision that he has given you in your life. And we serve the one true living God of the universe and, and each and every one of us here that have repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have the privilege of being called children of God. I mean, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, rich in his mercy and grace, lavished his love upon us. It wasn't deserved. We don't deserve his love, but he did it anyway. And he did grant us that repentance and faith through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, I love what Peter penned in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have redeemed our souls and you have given us new life in Christ, and adopted us into his family. We serve an omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who sustains the universe through the word of his power, and he is sovereign over all things. You know, I'm sure, just like me, there's times in your lives that ah, even though our hearts, we indeed believe and trust and know that God is sovereign you know what, our life sometimes paints a different picture when we go through a difficult trial in life. It's easy to rely and trust on the goodness of God when there's no stress in our lives. It's stress-free, but but you know what, It's, it's a whole different picture when the rubber hits the road and something difficult God allows to happen in your life. And, and at times we start to think, is God still on the throne? Is he still sovereignly working out all things according to the counsel of his own will? And we know the resounding answer to that question is, yes, he is. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things for good, and here's where the world stops. That's where they stop. But no, you have to continue on. For those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, we've been studying uh, in the Old Testament and in our passage today, we're going to be looking at Elijah. And we know that Elijah was called of God, that he had a God-ordained purpose in his life that he needed to fulfill through the providence of God. See, he was a prophet of Yahweh. He trusted in the Lord and and he was an instrument that God used as one of the instruments to rid Baal worship in Israel. 
You know, as Eric taught us last week, he, Elijah, he called King Ahab and all of Israel to gather at Mount Carmel so that they could decide, are they going to serve Baal or will they serve Yahweh? And we saw that in this, uh, this ridiculous display of, of hooping and hollering, when Elijah called forth for these prophets of Baal, he said, here's an oxen, sacrifice it, put it on the altar, but make sure that the altar is not lit. And then call upon Baal to call fire down from heaven to burn that sacrifice. Man, for hours they hooped and hollered and chanted and did all these ridiculous things. They even went so far as to cut themselves, to try to invoke pity from Baal. It's all to no avail because Baal is a false god that was made up in the minds and hearts of sinful men. Then it was, it was Elijah's turn to call upon the name of, of Yahweh. And we, we saw in 1 Kings 18, 36 and 37, so what it says, at that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you are Yahweh, you, Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. And then Yahweh answered that prayer. I mean, in an amazing display of his majesty and power, Yahweh shone forth his glory by sending fire from heaven to utterly destroy and consume the water-saturated burnt sacrifice as well as the wood and the stones and the dust. And the fire licked up the water that was surrounding in a trench around that altar. And then emboldened by seeing that, Elijah grabs, uh, he tells the people to get those 450 false prophets and they brought him down to the, the brook Kishon where Elijah slew them, which was exactly in accordance with the law's demands of false prophets being executed. And you know, at that point, right then and there, Elijah, he really must have felt that, you know what? I'm confident that Ahab's wicked wife, Jezebel, she will now know that, that Yahweh is the God of Israel. She's going to turn from her wicked ways. She's going to forsake Baal. And she's going to pursue a life of righteousness and go after Yahweh as her God. You know, in our passage this morning, we're going to see that that indeed did not take place. So we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to walk through every verse. It's 21 verses today, and, and I've titled today's lesson, Elijah's, Elijah Runs, Listens, and Obeys. And I've, I've broken this uh, passage down into six smaller sections, and the first section is found in verses 1 through 4. I've called it Elijah's Fearful Heart and Flight from Jezebel. So please follow along as I read from Yahweh's infallible word. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more 
If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he, he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Yahweh, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So as I just stated a moment ago, Elijah, I'm sure he was full of confidence seeing that this amazing miracle that God did showed up in a wonderful way. And he thought that, that Jezebel, when, we, when she would hear about this, that Yahweh is the God of Israel, that he's shown himself glorious and magnificent at Mount Carmel in such a way that, and, and all the people, I mean, they proclaim the fact that, that he is God. Yahweh is God for sure. She's going to turn. She has to. How can she not? But instead of that taking place, her heart remained just as hard as it had ever been. And she issues and spews out a violent threat against Elijah saying, I'm coming after you. By this time tomorrow, you need to be dead. And you have to realize, too, that she had already killed many of Yahweh's prophets. So this wasn't just a vain threat that Elijah's like, yeah, whatever. He knew that she could follow through with that, and he became fearful. You see, because just like Elijah, he was zealous in his love and devotion for Yahweh, Jezebel was zealous for her false god Baal as we can see by the fact that she had 450 false prophets and also by the fact that how enraged she became when she found out that Elijah had killed her prophets. She wanted Elijah dead and that made Elijah afraid. Elijah had seen Yahweh perform the mighty miracle at Mount Carmel and he's emboldened to, to execute these false prophets of Baal but his victory was short-lived because once Jezebel hears this, she comes after him and threatens to kill him because of his actions. You know, Satan, he loves to attack followers of Yahweh, especially right after they've had a spiritual victory in their lives. You ever known that? Have, has that happened to you in your walk with the Lord? You know, you, you may be active in sharing the gospel with friends and family and neighbors, or, or you may be searching God's scriptures and memorizing scriptures, committing it to your heart and soul so that you can become more like Christ and be conformed to his image. Or, or maybe you, you've actually taken a, a, a position in ministry here at the church, and then suddenly, you know, after that, that spiritual victory, Satan comes in and tries to attack you, and he wants to take your focus off of God Almighty, put it on yourself. Well, Jezebel's threat to kill Elijah surely did take Elijah's focus off of Yahweh, put it upon himself. He was afraid. See, Yahweh, he had proved himself to be the living God at Mount Carmel, Carmel and, and he answered Elijah's prayer to show everyone present that he indeed was the God of Israel. 
Yet Elijah was afraid of Jezebel's threat to take his life. Instead of calling on the name of Yahweh and, and relying on his sovereignty to providentially protect him and rely on Yahweh to do the bidding for him, Elijah became fearful in heart. He did not remain in Israel and face Jezebel head on with Yahweh as his guide and his comfort and strength. Rather, he fled away from Israel and out of the clutches of Jezebel. The footnote in my Bible says, his hope shattered, Elijah fled as a prophet, broken by Jezebel's threats, her unrepentant Baalism, and her continuing power over Israel. Elijah expected Jezebel to surrender. When she did not capitulate, he became a discouraged man. How often has that happened to you in your life as a believer? I mean, you see God work in such mighty and wonderful ways in your life, in different circumstances. And some might even feel so insurmountable that there's nothing you can possibly do. But instead of us relying on God, we try to take things into our our own matters, into our own hands, and, and we know that God is sovereign, but yet at that moment, we can be weak. And we try to, to take a path on, on our own way. Instead of knowing that when we rely on God, even though it's not comfortable and we don't like what we're facing, we know God gives us the peace and the comfort through his word to walk us through every difficulty that we face in life. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I know that I'm guilty of that type of of behavior uh, in my life at times. As believers, we have the living God of the universe. He resides within us, and he's left behind us his word so that we can live holy, righteous lives depending on him, knowing that he is faithful to his word. We heard about it this morning. His loving kindness is eternal for those who fear the Lord. I say it every time I get up here. Every time I teach, I say it and I'll say it again. God is sovereign over every last detail of our lives. That means we need to trust in his providential care of our lives as we sojourn in this world, knowing that this world right now is not our home. And in this part of our story, it really appears as though Elijah has had a a temporary lapse, a momentary lapse of trust in the Lord as he became fearful and he fled away from Jezebel. And, And not only did he flee, he didn't just go to the next town over. I mean, when he took off, he really took off. He ends up going to Beersheba, which is about 100 miles away. And then he leaves his servant there and goes another day's journey into the wilderness by himself. Fearful, discouraged, and alone in the wilderness, Elijah requests that Yahweh just ends his life. He says, I'm done. And when you think about it, 
it's quite ironic that, that, yeah, that Elijah asked Yahweh to end his life because just a few days prior to that, he's doing everything to save his life by getting out of, of Jezreel, out of Jezebel's clutches. But nevertheless, Elijah made his request to Yahweh. And just as a side note, when you look at the Old Testament, we also see that Job, Moses, and Jonah also asked Yahweh to end their life. And at one point in the, the ministry of Jeremiah, he wished that Yahweh had never allowed him to be born. But we must remember this. Yahweh has designated a day and a time that we are not aware of for every single one of his kids. He knows when he's going to bring them home. So no matter what we face in life, we must truly trust in his complete sovereignty. And we press on in our faith and we get busy doing God's kingdom work with the giftedness that we have been bestowed upon through the Holy Spirit. You know, Marcella and I, we've talked many times and she, she told me one time, I hope God gives us 90, till we're at least 90 years old. I said, I don't want to live till I'm 90. That's going to be hurting in my body and aches. And, and then I step back and say, you know what? If I'm alive till 90, praise God, because God didn't want me home yet. We still have work to do. We need to be busy about it. So Yah, uh, Eliza, he wants to end his life. And so what, what does Yahweh do with Eliza's request? Well, this takes us to our second section where we see Elijah's food for strength. It's found in verses 5 through 8. So look at verse 5. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of Yahweh came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So after fleeing from Jezebel and requesting that Yahweh end his life, Elijah is here and we see him that he's an exhausted man and he lays down under a juniper tree and he falls asleep. And I, we don't know this. Scripture doesn't say this, but, but you never know. Maybe Elijah was even thinking, hey, I'm just going to go to sleep and then God's going to grant my request. You know, I've asked him to take my life. Maybe he will. We don't know that, but he falls asleep. Well, instead of granting Elijah's request, Yahweh instead sends an angel to give Elijah physical food and water to nourish his weary body. He was asleep and an angel nudged him, wakes him up, says, hey, here's some food. So Elijah, he, he eats the bread and he drinks the water and then uh, he goes back to sleep. I mean, I don't know, when you read that, if you looked at it, I kind of scratched my head and I thought, well, that seems kind of odd. I mean, I would think if I were to wake up and there's an angel of the Lord in front of me, I probably wouldn't go back to sleep. But that's exactly what Elijah does. He ate, drank, fell asleep. But after falling asleep, 
Yahweh sends the angel back to him a second time. And this time, he lets Elijah know, hey, get up, eat. You need this because you are about to embark on a long journey and that food is going to sustain you through that journey. So when Elijah's apparent momentary lack of faith in Yahweh, Yahweh graciously began to renew Elijah's faith by miraculously providing for his food, for his physical strength, which is definitely reminiscent of Yahweh's miraculous providing food for Elijah in the past. And we see that twice already in past lessons. Back in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, Elijah stood before King Ahab and predicted that there's going to be no dew and no rain in Israel until he, Elijah, said it would rain again. And after saying this to King Ahab, Yahweh instructed Elijah to go and hide himself by the brook Cherith and drink of the brook and that ravens would actually bring food to him. And we read in 1 Kings 18, 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he would drink from the brook. And then a second time, we see a little bit beyond that. In, in 1 Kings 18, verses 8 through 16, Yahweh instructs Elijah to go to Zarephath where he would come upon a widow and he was to minister to that widow, but that widow would actually provide for his needs. So he finds the widow and the widow has a small amount of flour, a small amount of oil that God miraculously never let go away until it was time for him to move on. He just continued to multiply food for Elijah, the widow, and the widow's son. I mean, when you think about it in your life, and hopefully you did it this week, you think about all the amazing blessings that God has given us in our lives, and, and we can't help but turn it back up to praise and say, thank you, Father. Thank you for providing for my needs each and every day. If you're a believer here this morning, I know that you've experienced the wonderful hand of Yahweh in your lives and in providing for you in your life even in situations that seemed overwhelming. I'll never forget 2020, I'm sorry, 2010. It was a situation in my life where my late wife Kat and I went to uh, McAllen, Texas, about 10 hours south of here, to go to a one-year, very intensified language school, Spanish school, because we were going to go to Mexico to be missionaries. And we had a sending church that built up the vast majority of our financial support, along with a few other affiliated churches that, that gave as well. Well, after our first semester in language school, because we, we had room and board and tuition and, and all the food, it was paid through the support we got. After that first semester, I won't go into details, but me and the church had differences of opinion on doctrine, so we split ways, no longer had any income whatsoever. That happened on a Friday. Second semester was on Monday, three days later. And needless to say, I freaked out. I, 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 did, I wasn't trusting in the sovereignty of God. So I'm having a pity party for myself. And praise God, I had a really good friend that was a pastor in McAllen that said, Cam, let me ask you a question. He said, so God provided finances through this church, and now it's gone. Yeah. He goes, so... 
can God provide finances from another place and take care of your needs? I said, yeah. He said, then here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to Walmart, you're going to get your school supplies, and you're going to go to school on Monday, and you are going to watch what God is going to do in your life. I said, okay. We went to school, and I got to tell you, over the next four months, we began to see Yahweh whittle away our bill with people that we didn't even know. And when that semester ended, we owed $300. And, and we, we had no money. I mean, the, the amount that we had to pay, there's no way we could pay it. So at the end, we owed $300. We couldn't even pay the $300. I went to the dean of students and said, I don't know how we're going to pay this, but I promise you, we will pay it. And then a couple of days later, I get a phone call from the treasurer of our previous sending church. And he said, hey, uh, got a check in the mail from one of the churches that, that was supporting you. It's here, I'll forward it on to you. Can you guess how much that check was for? $300. We serve an amazing God that takes care of our needs. Amazing. Back in our passage, we see that Yahweh, he provides food for Elijah, his physical needs, so, so that he can make this journey to, the, to Mount Horb, which is the mountain of God. And that was a journey of 40 days and 40 nights. MacArthur states, Elijah's trip took over double the time it should have taken. Therefore, the period had symbolic meaning as well as showing literal time. As the people of Israel had a notable spiritual failure and so wandered 40 years in the wilderness, so a discouraged Elijah was to spend 40 days in the desert. As Moses had spent 40 days on the mountain without bread and water, sustained only by God as he waited a new phase of service, so Elijah was to spend 40 days depending on God's enablement as he prepared for a new commission from the Lord. So Yahweh renewed Elijah's physical strength, and in a moment we'll see how he also renewed Elijah's spiritual strength as well. So our third section, it's found in verses 10, 11, and 14. And it's Elijah's frustration. Look at verse 9. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars, altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You drop down to 14, he says the exact same thing. Then he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away away. See, after 40 days and 40 nights, this journey in the desert, Elijah, he arrives at Horeb, which is another name, if you didn't know this, for Mount Sinai. And he found a cave in the mountain, and he lodged there. 
And again, the, the Bible does not say this, but there are a few commentators that, that wonder, could this possibly be the same cave where Yahweh actually put Moses into a cleft and covered him and allowed his glory to pass by so, so that Moses could see the backside of God? Whether that's, this is the cave or not, Elijah is in this cave, and, and Elijah asks him, what are you doing here? Elijah claimed that the Israel, the Israelites, they're, they're apostate. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets, and, and I'm alone, the only surviving prophet of Yahweh in Israel. Now, these are the words of a frustrated man. He was expecting the victory at Mount Carmel to be the, the catalyst that, that would ignite everything so that, that Jezebel would turn away from his wicked ways and Israel would turn their worship back to Yahweh. Everyone today, you know, in, in Christian ministry, there are times that you think that something is going to happen immediately. Right there, Elijah was anticipating this happened, now here's the outcome immediately. And it didn't happen. He was very frustrated. I know in, in Christian ministry, you can expect something that's going to take place immediately, and when it doesn't, we can get frustrated and get a little down. See, the, the enemy, he loves to discourage Christians in their ministry for the Lord because discouragement can, not always, but it can lead to focusing on yourself as opposed to focusing on Yahweh. Elijah was zealous for Yahweh. And when Baalism was not immediately removed from the land, Elijah felt, may very well have felt that his ministry was just in vain. What am I doing? He's discouraged. God is sovereignly in control of all things. So he was finding out, he'll find out soon. And, and we know today that, that you know, there, there could be times when you witness to someone and they don't get saved. They don't bow their knee to the Lord right then and there and we get discouraged. But, but we must remember that God is in control and we don't know what he's doing in their hearts behind the scenes. When we disciple others and their lives don't seem to change. We trust in Yahweh that he is in control and that he is using us for his glory. When Christian pastors faithfully preach the word week in and week out, and yet their sheep still bicker and complain and, and, and fight amongst each other and, and sometimes even complain against the elders. God is still sovereign and he works out each and every every situation for that desired outcome through his providentially chosen paths. So we see here Elijah, he's frustrated and he needed to get back on course and continue his ministry for Yahweh. This brings us to our fourth section. Elijah's fabulous encounter with Yahweh and it's in verses 11 through 13. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before Yahweh. And behold, Yahweh was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake. But Yahweh was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, as I was preparing for this lesson, I, I was reminded how in the New Testament, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Yahweh also, he, he sent Moses there that Jesus was talking with, and he represents the law. And then Elijah was there, who, who encapsulates all of the Old Testament prophets. And in our passage here, we see that Elijah's on the mountain of God, which is Mount Sinai, exactly where Yahweh gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And it was on this mountain that Yahweh graciously allowed Moses to see a portion of his glory as he hid his face, hid Moses in a cleft of the rock, let him pass by. Now on this same mountain, maybe, maybe not in the same location, we see that Yahweh, he speaks to Elijah. He tells Elijah, go stand on the mountain before the Lord. And Yahweh, he causes these three natural phenomena to occur in the form of a mighty wind and this earthquake and then a fire. But we learn he was not in the wind nor the earthquake nor the fire. Next comes a gentle blowing or a gentle whisper. And that sound is what causes Elijah to wrap his face in his mantle, which is just another way of his cloak. He wraps his face and he goes to the entrance of the cave. You see, Elijah, just like Moses, knew that he could not see the full glory of the Lord and not die, so he covers his face and he goes out and he hears this faint whisper from Yahweh. I was reading one commentator and his own words as well as taking some, some words from other commentators. He says, perhaps the Lord attempts to teach Elijah not to expect always the miraculous and wondrous deliverance from problems. Maybe God wants to signify to the prophet that he did not work in his earthly kingdom with the destroying zeal of wrath or with the pitiless severity of judgment. Or the Lord may simply try to explain to Elijah that he works in small ways at this time. God speaks in a quiet voice here to a prophet drained of strength. The next passage will reveal still further the Lord's willingness to labor with relatively limited human resources. Regardless of the meaning of the natural wonders, however, here's what I like, it is God's word alone that will heal the prophet in this moment of crisis. Let's use that as an example for us today, as a lesson for us today as redeemed saints of Yahweh. We do not hear Yahweh's voice, his audible voice today. But you know what we do have? We have his infallible word left behind for us to, to read and study. It's for our instruction and training in righteousness. Only God's word can bring us the peace and the comfort that nurses our souls in times of frustration and discouragement. 
As believers, we should be feasting on the word of God daily to to feed our inner man, to, to strengthen us so that we can be used for God's purposes. Back in verse 13, after the strong wind, the earthquake and the fire passed by, Yahweh spoke to Elijah in a whisper and he asked Elijah the same question he asked him back in verse 9. What are you doing here? And Elijah gave his answer to this question in verse 14, which we had already, we've already looked at. And this takes us, it takes us to v- section 5, which is found in verses 15 through 18. And it is Elijah's focused instructions from Yahweh. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphet of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So after fleeing from Jezebel, requesting that Yahweh end his life, and upon his journey to Horeb, where, where he could express his frustration and make his need known to Yahweh, Elijah hears a word from Yahweh to encourage him to get back to Israel, continue his ministry that would ultimately, through Elisha, Elisha end Baal worship in Israel. So Elijah, he was instructed to, to anoint these three men. And those three men are going to just obliterate the worship of Baal and turn the hearts of people back to Yahweh. I want you to pause for a moment and just think in your heart, don't answer this out loud, but just think for a moment and contemplate what has God called you to do in ministry for him? And then what you need to ask yourself with that spiritual giftedness that the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon you to use for God's glory, are you fulfilling that call? Only you can answer that question. God may be prompting you to witness to your neighbor or family member or a coworker. He may be convicting you through his word to be involved in a specific ministry here at Countryside or maybe another ministry outside that's a parachurch organization, but he's calling you to do that for his glory. He may be leading you to become a fervent daily prayer warrior for the elders and leaders and and, and members here at CBC as well as the body of Christ worldwide. Whatever Christian ministry that God is calling you to do, are you doing it? And if not, why not? Feast on God's instructions daily. Be encouraged that he is sovereign over everything in your life and be about your father's business. Elijah here, he was encouraged by the word of the Lord because God was going to, he just told him, I'm going to use these three men and that, those men would ultimately destroy Baal worship in Israel. 
And that was the ministry that God had began with Elijah. And we'll see in a moment in the last section that Elijah commissions Elisha as his replacement. But in future lessons, we're actually going to see that it was Elisha who actually was involved in Hazael becoming king of Aram. And it was Elisha's servant who anoints Jehu as king of Israel. And we'll also learn in a future lesson that before these three men died, Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha, Baal worship was abolished in Israel. God says it, and it gets done. And he uses men and women, just like you, just like me, to accomplish his purposes. Not only could Elijah be encouraged that Baal worship was going to be abolished, but he also could be encouraged by the fact that God preserved 7,000 people of Israel who did not bow their knee to Baal and they did not kiss an idol of Baal. Elijah wasn't the only person in Israel who had a love and a devotion for Yahweh. And the Lord disseminates that information to Elijah. So, so with this newfound strength and encouragement from Yahweh, Elijah obeys the Lord's instructions. That brings us to our final section in section 6 of our passage in verses 19 and 20 through 21, Elijah's faithfulness. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. After Yahweh had given Elijah instructions at Horeb, Elijah obeyed the word of the Lord and he sought out and he found Elisha. So he goes, he sees that Elisha, he's plowing in a field with a team of oxen and as Elisha passed by, Elijah takes off his mantle, his cloak, and he throws it onto Elisha. And that's a symbol of commissioning him, saying that now the mantle is being passed to you. The torch is yours. You are going to be my replacement. It really was an act of passing the baton to Elisha to continue Elijah's ministry, similar to how Moses passed the torch on to Joshua as his predecessor and or his successor uh, that's recorded in Deuteronomy. So we see in an Elijah, he gets the word of the Lord, says, go find these people. He finds Elisha. He is faithful to the commissioning that he had got from the Lord. And then we see in verses 20 and 21, now it's flipped and it's, it, the ball is in Elisha's court and we see that he is faithful to the commissioning that Elijah just put upon him. You know, he, he ran after Elijah and he requested, hey, before I follow you, please let me go back and just kiss my mom and dad goodbye. 
And before you think, wait a minute, he's, he's like in the New Testament, oh, you know what, let me go back and do these things first and then I'll follow you. That's not the case at all. That's not what this was about. His request was not coming from a rebellious heart and not wanting to serve Yahweh. Rather, it was Elisha's, Elisha's way of saying goodbye to his family and making a clear break. So he sacrificed a pair of oxen. And if you didn't understand that where it says, and he boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, the implements of the oxen were actually the plow. It was the wood. It was the yoke that they were taking. So he uses, he, he takes a pair of oxen, uses the, the oxen plow, burns them up there. And that was very significant because it's indicating his clean break from his old life and now identifying himself as a prophet of Yahweh as he's moving forward and he follows Elijah. So he has this final meal. Elisha, Elisha has this final meal with his family. Then he arose, he went after Elijah. And in the coming weeks, we will find more about Elisha. But for now, I mean, what a wonderful passage of Scripture that we've looked at today. I mean, here is this man. He had this huge spiritual victory at Mount Carmel. And right after that, he is defeated and frustrated because Jezebel's coming after him, doesn't turn away from her wicked ways. She continues to pursue Baal and wants to kill him. So he runs away, gets as far away as he can. Then he goes even further into the wilderness. He just says, Lord, just take my life. But what an amazing God we have. He sustained Elijah, gives him food for his physical nourishment. It allows him to go to, to Mount Sinai, to, to the mountain of God. Gives him further instruction to encourage him, to get him back in the game. Saying, I've commissioned you. Get back at it. Be about my work. The work is not done. He's encouraged. He goes. He trusts in the Lord, goes and does exactly what he said. And now we see that he's commissioning Elisha to carry on the work that Yahweh had began with Elijah. So I hope that in this passage this morning that, that you can clearly see that you saw the sovereignty of God portrayed in this passage and that you saw Yahweh's compassion and grace toward one of his discouraged and frustrated prophets. Instead of Yahweh rebuking Elijah for his temporary lack of faith, and his desire to have his life ended, Yahweh just miraculously provided for Elijah's physical and spiritual needs, encouraged him through a word. And he does that to us too today. I encourage every one of us that are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that we trust in the sovereignty of God, that we look to his word for the nourishment of our souls. That when this, this life is hard, Christian ministry is hard, and we get beat up and battled in this battle for lost souls all the time. But our God is a sufficient God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us to embolden us to do exactly what we were gifted to do for God's glory. So I encourage you to be about your Father's work. Whatever God is calling you to do as his child, do it joyfully and obediently.
obediently, trusting in his sovereignty, knowing that he will strengthen you for the task that he sets before you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, press on. Our God is good. And I never like to end without thinking that there's one person here today that may not know who is this God that you're talking about? Who is Yahweh? He's the God of the universe. He's the God that created you, gave you life. And if you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I encourage you, come talk to me afterwards. You've got to know that there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to earn a right relationship with a holy God. I mean, the question we need to ask is, how can a holy God allow sinful man into heaven? That's the question. Well, he doesn't. What he does instead, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on our behalf. He lived a perfect life. He died, he bled, he was buried. Three days later, rose again, and he's in heaven. He's going to come back. He's going to take all of those that have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that what he did on the cross was sufficient alone to save your soul. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is my prayer for you today, that before your head hits the pillow, cry out to God that he'll have mercy on your soul and grant you repentance and faith in Jesus so that you can also have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it gives us truth and sustenance and in our inner man when we struggle in life with, with difficulties, be it physical, financial, spiritual, emotional, whatever it may be, Lord, we know that you are in control, that you are God, you sit upon the throne, that you take care of your kids' needs every single day. Even when we can't see what you're doing, you're doing it for our good and for your glory. So I pray that we will be encouraged today, Lord, that in those moments of frustration, we don't look to human wisdom, we look to Scripture and see what does it say, and we see that you, your Hesed love, your eternal love is set upon us, and that you are for us and not against us, and we thank you for that. And we pray for anybody here today, Lord, that, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. Convict them as we speak right now, convict their heart. Let them know that they've sinned against a holy God and that your wrath abides upon them, but let them confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and let them believe that you raised him from the dead so that they can be saved. For your glory we pray in the most precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.